What's up, everyone? This is Cortland from NDHackers.com, and you're listening to the Indie Hackers podcast. On this show, I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses, and I try to get a sense of what it's like to be in their shoes. How did they get to where they are today? How do they make decisions at their companies and in their personal lives? And what exactly makes their businesses tick? And the goal, as always, is so that the rest of us can learn from their examples and go on to build our own successful businesses. Today, I am talking to the one and only Joel Hooks, the co-founder of Egghead.io. Joel, welcome to the Indie Hackers Podcast, and thanks so much for coming on. Hey, Corlin. Thanks for having me. So Egghead is a platform for people to learn how to code and become better web developers. Can you explain to us a little bit about how it works? <laughs> My joke is that we are a video blog that has a membership component, which is really just kind of like a self-deprecating way of uh, minimizing what we actually do. We are basically like a marketing and delivery platform for content creators, specifically uh, people that are creating screencasts for developers. So we kind of focus on a more intermediate, advanced audience. We invite people that are that are doing things and, and kind of teaching already on the internet to come, you know, do it on AKED and make money. So we're, we're there to facilitate people uh, that, that want to educate and that are kind of already doing that on the internet. So we, we give them a platform to kind of take away the unsavory bits uh, around marketing and, and like asking people for money. So on one side, you've got these creators who are inviting to make courses, video courses to teach people to do things about coding. And on the other side, you've got mostly software developers, web developers who want to learn how to code and they're paying you for access to these courses. Yeah, exactly. Like we have, like I, re- I tell people, like my primary customer is actually the instructors that are that are teaching, uh, and then we are connecting them with a broader audience that's paying to view their their material. Yeah, you're like this two sided marketplace, which is always fun because it's almost like you're running two completely different businesses with two sets of customers, two different groups of people to make happy. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a matchmaking service at the end of the day. Like if you think about it that way, right? Like we find people that want to make materials and then connect them with the the folks that that want to pay to to view what they're creating. You started Egghead way back in 2013 and at that point it was just you and your co-founder John. Today you guys are up to 12 full-time employees. You're making over $250,000 a month in revenue and you bootstrapped your way here. How does it feel to be in this position? You've got a company that's actually helping people and you're not beholden to any investors and you're sort of financially independent and you're the one in control. Um, I, I really like it. It, it suit, Well, it suits my personality. I would have a hard time. Like I don't, I don't want to shoot for growth, 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 which is, you know, like when typically when you describe a startup, that's, that's the goal, right? Like we need to grow, we got to grow, we got to grow. And that isn't my goal. I want to build a sustainable business. I want to help people. I want to like be able to hire entry-level developers and, and uh, help them like learn their skills over time. Uh, so our approach of, of not taking any money is slower, but that's, that's kind, of, kind of the intent is to be a little bit, bit slower and more, more intentional with what we're doing. We don't take ads either, so we don't advertise and we don't, don't take any sort of ads. So we, we've kind of uh, turned it on to hard mode a little bit, but at the same time, like long-term, it's, it's nice uh, and, and really suits the, the pace that, that uh, we like to work. Yeah, we've met a few times in person, and I would describe you as a super laid-back guy. A lot of founders of successful businesses like yours are high-strung, they're always busy, they're always stressed out. That doesn't seem to apply to you, and I guess if you're ever stressed out, you hide it very well. What is it that drove you to want to be a founder and want to be an entrepreneur when this is something that stereotypically is going to involve a lot of stress and a lot of worrying about growth? Yeah, it's funny because 
the motivation is kind of the same motivation for not taking investment in that, like having, I don't, I don't like to have a boss and I don't want to, like I've had employers, you know, if a, it, start time was 8.30 and I show up at 8.35 and they're going to like give me grief over that. And, you know, just like this, this general workaday attitude and working for somebody else has always been hard for me. And, you know, I think it's hard for a lot of people, frankly. And, you know, like, what are we going to do about it? And I, I started programming computers specifically so I could like get out of that that situation. I, I read Hackers and Painters by Paul Graham and like it was an inspiration to me. Like I, I can like he he talks about, um, you know, like things like learn Python if you want to be different, which probably is, uh, would be a different language today. And then, you know, like the software is this last frontier of like wealth creation. Like I can just sit there with me, my computer and my my time and actually like make my own workspace, right? Like my own ability to to earn and produce and do what I want to do outside of the confines of of you know like typical like nine to five employment, which has been um like like true in fact. It took like like twelve years from reading the book to get to the point I'm at now because there's a lot of in between, obviously. But you know, like the that premise really was like a, a light light bulb going off in my head. And I'm like, well, I can do this, I can escape. I need to make a plan and you know kind of put that in motion and, you know, like a decade later, get to realize the fruits of that initial inspiration. Yeah, software is pretty magical. I mean, once you can sit down and just create something of value at your fingertips from home, it's hard not to have the idea cross your mind that, hey, maybe I shouldn't be working for somebody else. Maybe I should just build my own app, my own website and sell that to other people. Yeah. And I mean, you know, code's a part of it. And like, I'm pretty good at systems. I'm a mediocre programmer. I'm not, you know, like a great, great programmer. But then beyond that, like it's like the like I studied economics for a couple of years. I studied like business and marketing and I tried to go back to, to school and that was so slow. And, and I was just like, well, I can I can do this at home. The stack of skills that it requires to actually start a business is pretty significant. But like the barrier to entry is also very low. Uh, so it's like you can sit there and, and, you know, like like learn and study and be kind of a, a bookish learner on the whole thing and, you know, not even necessarily do the thing which I did for, for many, many, many years, or, you know, kind of get out there and like, what's the worst that could happen, right? I'm going to ask people for money, they'll either give it to me or they won't. And, you know, I can like practice kind of on the job too, which has turned out pretty good. Like once I started, right? Like once I got over that initial, oh, I don't know what to do, or I have this grand idea and it's so big and I'm going to do it. And like, you know, when you have these grand ideas, it, it makes it even harder because like success is, is a lot further away than if you have like a small idea that you incrementally improve. I've had a lot of founders on the podcast who said that the more successful their businesses have gotten, the harder it's felt, that it's never, ever felt easier to them. Is that true for you and Egghead, or have you sort of been able to rest a little bit easier as your business has grown? So we've been in business for five years. Uh, I moved across the country and had a baby in, the, in that time period is our, our fifth child. And I look at that like I'm thinking about it, right? And I was able to like move and really like turn it off like for a full year. I wasn't, you know, we weren't focused on growth or, or focused on anything. And it was, it was basically stress-free and I could, I can be gone for a week and I can come back and uh, guess what? And everything didn't collapse. It still exists. You know, the, the mechanisms are in place. <laughs> We're a very generous workplace. We actually have a key values profile. If you go to, to keyvalues.com, there's the egghead profile where I worked with Lynn Tai and uh, I, did, I hired her. We aren't actually hiring. So she normally doesn't do that. But I was like, well, can, can you put together one of your profiles for me? Because I really want to communicate with, with everybody. And I built a workplace where everybody gets to enjoy like the same freedom to relax as I do. 
if that makes sense, I think a lot of times, you know, a founder will be like, I get to relax, but everybody else has to work their ass off. And to me, I didn't want it to be that. I want it to be, you know, like everybody gets the same kind of benefits of building this calm workplace. And like, it's true for everybody. You know, I have people, I'm going to take a month off and I'm going to do this or that, or, you know, I'm going to move. And it's like, well, you can, you can relax. Everything will still be here and as will your job, you know, as, assuming that while we're here, we're all working towards the same goals. Overall, like the, I, I don't feel super stressed. I, I put a lot of stress on my shoulders just in terms of improvement because I like to do interesting things. So, so I get bored and that stresses me out. But ultimately, that's just, you know, like me focusing on, on the future or, and, and carrying stress. We don't have deadlines, um, for instance, which is, I think, a big source of stress for folks is the need to like get stuff done at a certain period of time to meet very specific goals that people are like kind of artificially putting in, in front of themselves. One of the things you mentioned earlier that is very true is that while there are lots of different skills and knowledge sets that you need to be a successful founder, you can actually go into it knowing very little. And you can sort of pick up all this knowledge and all these skills on the job. But you took a different approach. You studied economics, you studied programming, you studied business, sort of taught yourself all these skills before you decided to become a founder. Why did you take that approach and why did you think that was necessary rather than just learning on the job? So my Twitter profile used to be annoying book guy because anybody would bring up a topic and I'd, I'd, I'd have a book recommendation, right? Like, I, you, oh, you, you should read this book or, oh, here's this great book on that subject, which is only annoying probably if you live in my house. Uh, but so that, that was where I started, right? Like I, I like to read, I'm reading books about business. I, I, and it, this goes way back because I, I read like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is one of the most polarizing books on the internet. Uh, but I was, it was great and I understand allegory. So I'm able to read this and I'm like, oh, that's, that's pretty interesting. He's talking about real estate and stuff. And then uh, like the E-Myth was another great book. And he talks about um, franchises, like opening franchises, but that's really about systems. And that, I mean, that's, you know, like where my, my probably my core competency is, is systems and, and thinking about them. But I wanted to like understand, you know, like the economics and how people work and how, like, how people think in terms of, you know, like what economics is and uh, kind of as a, a study of sociology and how the world works uh, more than like spreadsheet style economics and predictions, just, you know, like how, how, how does it work in terms of human psyche? And then more when I talk about business, I've read, a, you know, a good handful of business books, but more like the, the marketing, things like copywriting and, you know, like all that kind of stuff that, that goes into like, like building a business and talking to people. I was reading and reading and I had like, you know, these grand ideas and I was going to, you know, like build this big thing and I had the, you know, the idea of what I was going to build and, and it didn't really like come together for me until I met uh, Amy Hoy, who runs a, a class called 30 by 500, uh, which is a, a basically a how to bootstrap a business class. And, and at the core of it is how to find your audience and uh, understand their pain and solve it for them for in exchange for money. And I took that class for three years. She, at the time, allowed you to take it repeatedly. And I'm taking the class and I'm, I have my idea. And I, she's always like, your ideas are stupid. You need to like kill your darling, stop with the ideas, find the problems and solve them. And finally, like I went to the, the conference that they had called Bacon Biz. And it just like I had like an epiphany moment. And it was just like a sequence of events. And I'm like, no, I think I get it. I'm a developer. I understand developers. Everybody's trying to learn AngularJS right now. Why don't I stop and like help them learn AngularJS? Um, and that was like the seed, like the moment when, when it occurred to me that, that that was the business that I could build. And I didn't need to have a grand idea. I could just start solving those problems directly. Um, and, and that's worked out pretty good. Let's talk about this epiphany for a moment. I just got back from an Indie Hackers meetup in Atlanta and I was talking to a few people. And I talked to people on the Indie Hackers forum and I feel like this 
this concept of building with an audience in mind rather than just building sort of your pet idea and then searching for a customer is pretty hard for people to understand. Yeah. Can you explain it a little bit and like maybe talk about why it was hard for you to understand it and why it took three years before you had your epiphany? I think the tendency is, especially with folks that, that are software developers, um, and you know, I'm not like universally ascribing this to software developers, but we like to we like solutions. We like to get to the solution and, and solve problems. And the entire time when I'm I'm spinning my wheels on this this idea, it's a great solution and the audience didn't work. So the idea like specifically was um my wife's a professional photographer. I built this like my first app that I built was for her and it was this pretty cool like wall designer app for photographers. And I was going to sell this this application to uh, the the niche market of of stay at home mom photographers. And as I'm going through it, and you know, like I'm trying to do Amy's technique, she calls it sales safari, where you kind of you go and you just kind of, uh, if you imagine yourself on safari, you know, and you're looking at the oasis where all the animals are, are congregating, and you have your binoculars, and you're just kind of observing and seeing what they do and um, how they get their food and water and that sort of thing. So I'm like in their forums trying to, you know, like do do this, do this sales safari thing. And so the last thing that stay-at-home mom photographers want is some dude sitting in their forums, like marketing <laughs> to them. Like they're used to that. They've seen this coming. Like they, they have seen the Jeep on the horizon and know exactly what's, you know, what's going on. And they just don't, they're not interested in it. It is not my people, right? Like I don't understand them. They don't understand me. They don't want me in their space. And I was like, man, this is just really hard. I don't know what to do. And then, you know, like, I'm a software developer. I understand all of the inside jokes. I understand the pain. I, I can relate to these people across the board in a very, very direct way. And once I like was like, oh, okay, well, I, I can like provide solutions for these folks right now. So I started writing a book, but then I had a, a friend that was making screencasts about AngularJS on YouTube. And I was like, hey man, can I package those and sell them? And that's John Linquist, who was my co-founder. And that's what we did. And so I had the epiphany. I, I took the, I went to this, this conference and I took a, Brennan Dunn had a consultancy masterclass, which I took. So I was like, maybe I need to start a consultancy. So from both of those, I had uh, sketch notes. Like I, I, I do sketch notes sometimes. And I took them and I put them on my blog and sold them for like $5 each. I was like, all right, I'm selling a product on the internet. Here's my sketch notes. And I sold, I've sold a few hundred dollars worth of those. That was my, my first product. But in the same time, I'm like, I'm going to write an AngularJS book. I'm going to see what John wants to do. And I'm talking to John and, and John was like, I don't know, man. I'm doing YouTube. They they said they're gonna allow me to monetize pretty soon, so I might just stick with that. And I'm like a, I describe myself as a, the Terminator. I play a long game. I'm not trying to kill you. I'm trying to make you money. So I'm, I'm you know, not not exactly like the Terminator. But I will like <laughs> over time. I'm I'm persistent. Unless you give me a hard no, I'm going to like like continue to ask and continue to like knock those objections down, which I guess is basically a sales process. And I convinced him, I'm like, look, man, I can take those zip files from YouTube, all your videos, your 50 videos, and put them in a zip file. I'm going to email your donation list, which was like five or 6,000 people at the time. And uh, we'll see what happens. So I did that and it did like $6,500 that first week. Um, and it was like, see, dude, I told you. Um, and that, that was like the, the, the seed money for our, our you know, first year of Egghead. Okay, so John is making these videos, teaching people AngularJS all by himself. And you come in and say, hey, John, why don't you email the people donating and ask them to actually pay money for the video in sort of a transactional way? Why were you so confident that people would actually pay money for these videos? And also, why did John need your advice and this push from you? Why didn't he just charge money for the videos himself without any help from you at all? He felt bad doing it. Like, I think a lot of people do, right? Like, asking people for money like is, is like this hard thing. Like, what are they going to think about me? And so... 
like I was able to take that away. Like I'm like, look, you don't have to ask them. I'm going to send it to them and, you know, we'll see what happens. And it didn't matter, right? Like it's this small thing that provides value to people uh, that they've already proven that they're interested in, right? Like they, they're interested in this. And I think the funny thing about that was it was like two clicks away for them to get to the free thing, right? Like these are all just free videos that John was putting out on the internet. And I'm like, look, people will buy it. I know in my heart they'll buy this stuff. And like, it blew me away though. Like I wasn't expecting that many people to buy it, like at all. We did that and I was like, look, and he's like, all right, it's a go. And uh, we, we formed an LLC and I, I stood up my first Rails app in like two weeks and was like, all right, now you can subscribe for $99 a year and we'll, we'll have pro content at some point because we had no plans on how we were going to do that at all at the time. But like, it was minimal for me to go, like to do that, right? Like, it's not a big idea. You know, like I said, we're a video blog, right? Like I just, I made a Rails app that was a video blog that could also take payments. And at the end of the day, like people were interested and they, they started subscribing and giving us money monthly and we had to, you know, now we have to produce videos. So it wasn't, you know, hey, I got this this grand solution or I'm building, you know, a big SaaS app. Um, it's just, you know, people need to learn. They need knowledge. You're good at sharing knowledge, John. Um, I like to do the selling part, so maybe we should collaborate. And it, it worked out. In the very beginning, once you saw that you sold over $6,000 of, of videos in this first week, what was your plan for the company at that point? I mean, I know you eventually switched to a subscription model. Did you have any other big decisions that you wanted to make? Any vision for what this thing could turn into? Yeah. I mean, initially, like my plan was the subscription model. Like that was like the whole thing. I was just trying to prove the point and get those people in the door. And and that was like immediately afterwards. Like we sold it. I was like, see, and he says, go. So we do that. The problem, like the big hurdle after that, like after we, we start taking subscriptions was John is one person and producing content relentlessly for people like on a weekly basis is a lot to ask of anybody. It's a lot of pressure. And uh, we've seen people, you know, burn out, like some people that, that uh, kind of famously do the screen th- casting thing have, you know, experienced burnout and just disappeared and they, they stopped doing it. Um, so like my first, you know, like next step was to bring other people in, uh, to bring other instructors in, uh, both to relieve the burden of uh, that from John and then also to eliminate risk myself. Because if I'm going to go all in on this thing, like I can't have, you know, like the, the linchpin of the whole operation being like, I can't do this anymore. I can't can't produce. And then, you know, all the people that are giving you money are now like having to like you have to explain that to him, which is a hard thing. So we started, you know, I asked a few people and I was like, hey, can you make videos for us? I promise there'll be some sort of payment involved. And they they trusted me. I kind of tapped my network uh, up front and they made videos and, and you know, our first courses. Um, and you know, that, that led to more people being like, Hey, can I make videos for you too? Or, or folks that I'd reach out to and and get them to come in and make videos for us. So now we are up to like 140 published instructors and are bringing people in all the time. And and we've got a a system and we wrote a small book at howtoegghead.com and are able to expand on that, that general idea and improve that process over time. Even though at first it was like, I didn't have a solution or a system in place, but we are able to just start and just start doing the thing. And that led to, you know, the ability to improve it now. So we get to start working on improving it because we've already started. Which side of this marketplace would you say over the course of your business has been the toughest to grow? The course creators or bringing on programmers who want to learn? Yeah, I mean, it has to be the, the creators is, is a really, is, a, is a, just a big challenge to keep that flowing. Um, we have those relationships. We have, a, you know, a Slack channel for them. So it's like a, a constant ongoing thing, 
you know, we had to like initially it was like, oh, that's not to our standards, but we didn't have anything written down. So it's like the standards were just in John and I's head. So like developing that and then, you know, like finding the voice and developing a style and setting clear expectations, uh, that, that's been a, a, a real significant challenge where if that falls into place, if we're able to like deliver consistent content, the rest of it, the, the growing the, the audience base has really just been kind of, you know, it, it just it just happens, right? Like it just follows. Like so if we're delivering the quality, the audience is there and, and, and they enjoy it. You know, I still work pretty hard like on, on like email marketing is a big, big portion of what we do. And then, you know, like generally, like how do we, you know, like funnels and, and all that, that business, which I re- really enjoy like thinking about, but then also, you know, like balancing that with the like instructor development and the content side of it's been, been interesting and, and, you know, it goes back and forth. Okay. So let's dive into growing and dealing with both sides of this two-sided marketplace. You said that just by having really good courses, great content, that the developer side of your marketplace, all the people who come to your website to learn, sort of took care of itself. And that's really fascinating to me. I really want to dive into that and come back to that later. But first, let's talk about the course creator side of your marketplace. What did the process look like for training these course creators and getting them to create content that was up to you and John's standards? And what kind of mistakes did you guys make early on in that process? John and I, we would just be you know, like really aggressive and, and, and you know, kind of... Um, I don't know. There, there's no. There's no softening to the to the like the delivery of our our critique, and you know, for the most part, that that would mean that that people would just kind of fade away, right? Like they 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 wouldn't want to put up with our BS. So in, instead of doing that, they would just would just stop. Or you know, it's like this idea of also like starting them out and expecting like the end result immediately versus giving them like achievable goals over time. Like how do you take somebody from being a novice to being a badass? which the, there's a book called Badass by Kathy Sierra that's like an inspiration. And really maybe reading that was, was a big part of, of how we changed our approach to like teaching instructors because we want to do that for everybody, right? Like the people watching our videos, we want to take them and we want to make them badasses and we want to make, you know, badasses out of instructors too. And it's kind of a, an interesting chain. And in the end, a lot of our instructors have actually come out of our user base. Um, like they, they're people, they're fans, right? Like they're people that interact and they, they like what we do and then they'll send us, you know, kind of their demo or whatever. And we've um, taken that and developed it and then softened our approach both in like the writing it down, like where we, John and I and, and others collaborated to, to make this document and then bringing people in, they can help instructors more directly. And that's, you know, kind of the, their whole job is to be the support network for our instructor base which was a big help too, just kind of like moving John and I out of the mix because, you know, like we're a little close to it. And, you know, if our personalities didn't work just right, like it was, you know, whatever, we needed documentation. And to me, it's like anything. The same is true for like, like say code reviews uh, for developers, right? Like, like we do code reviews, but code reviews can be really harsh and they can be like a, a bad environment that, that turn people away. Um, or you can have a nice set of standards that you can reference and link people to and have discussions and ask why and and guide people along and, and get a better process going too. So kind of drawing from that experience um, and then, you know, like like just feedback from the, the groups of instructors that we, we we would roll through over time. Can you explain this this concept from Kathy Sierra of, of turning people into badasses? Because I think most people looking at this from the outside end would say, okay, well, if you want to get people to produce good courses and all you really need to do is provide a financial incentive. What is this about making them into badasses? And how did you get people to want to make courses for you that are high quality when you were really in your early days and you couldn't guarantee they were going to make a whole lot of money? Yeah, so 
the, the financial incentive is really weird. Like everybody has that, right? Like every, all of us, like we, we have our, our hierarchy of needs where we need to, 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 to meet them. And, and, you know, everybody, you know, like making money is, is great. I found it's not a great motivator. Like I've even had like a difficult time getting people to take advances um, if I want them to, to do a course just because they don't want to do the commitment. And really like getting people to accomplish first, right? Like, like the, if, you, if I pay an advance to somebody, that's just putting a bunch of pressure on them and giving them deadlines and causing stress over the whole thing. That's how the traditional publishing model works which isn't what we want to do. Like we want to like build a relationship. I want it like, I want an instructor to be able to come in. Um, they're going to go ahead and, and you know, now we have them like make a 30 second demo that leads into a draft full length single lesson. Uh, we do several of those before we get into, you know, talking about the course and I want them to, to win and understand the process and feel comfortable with the process throughout the entire thing. Right. Like, so we come in and, and here's a really achievable thing that you can do. We're going to take you from never having recorded a screencast before to, you know, your first 30 second demo. And we're going to talk about that instead of, you know, like recording a five minute thing and being like, Oh, this is garbage. Start back over because it isn't, you know, it isn't up to snuff, which was, I mean, like not literally, but generally how we used to approach it. So we're able to, you know, take people from, you know, not knowing anything up to, you know, all the way through a course development or more recently, we're even like trying to help people launch like a, a bigger product outside of Egghead because everybody wants to, you know, like what's the next step after you've, you know, succeeded to the to the max on, on Egghead IO, you know, let people want to go out and like, oh, well, now I want to do my own product. I want to I want to have a big launch of my own and, and we're helping people do that too. So we're able to like take from zero experience all the way through, you know, kind of the finish line of, of somebody that's connecting directly and building their own audience uh, versus, you know, just sharing ours. Yeah, that's great. You're sort of mentoring people and guiding them along this entire process from having no experience being a teacher or a course creator to, you know, selling the course on Egghead to going off to do their own thing. That's exactly it. Like, it's just a, you know, like this, this stage progression of, of advancement in terms of, you know, how, how they are approaching, you know, this kind of second career or side career as a, as a content creator and, and giving them, you know, like achievable steps based on you know their motivation and interest right like you don't like uh, we have plenty of people that have come on and created a single course or a single lesson um and then they they go away right like we send you know we send a thousand dollar box of professional audio gear so like if somebody creates a lesson and that's it like you know it's like disappointing like we're like well what happened why did they, they go away and that's but that's a learning opportunity for us too like why how did we get you to this point and then just have you kind of disappear and, and no longer want to work with us. You know, you got your gear, you created a lesson, and then, you know, that, that's it. Like, what's next? Um, and understanding that's, you know, something that we, we continually strive to understand because, you know, one, uh, we don't want to be shipping internationally, you know, expensive boxes of gear that don't get used. You know, that's disappointing. But more, we want to, like, learn how to build those relationships and learn, like, what the roadblocks are and why somebody would, you know, be interested and then, and then stop being interested. That sort of thing. Let's talk about the other side of the marketplace. You first got started with John making his own video courses on learning AngularJS. And you took that and you emailed it to all the people who had donated to him in the past and asked him to pay for it. How did you go from that presumably small list of donators to the massive number of people learning on Egghead today? Yeah, so that was actually a pretty big list. It was, I think, like 6,000 people total had, like John. Oh, wow. John is really good at what he does. And he's, you know, probably one of the, the best screencasters on the planet. Like, he's just, just great at it. Um, and, and he was doing it for quite a long time. So he had a pretty good list. Um, and it equaled out about to a dollar per person on the list, which is, is decent um, for kind of a cold list, uh, if not great for a cold list when we first did that. 
to me, like the subscription is just the way to go. Like predictable input income, um, you know, like like just just giving. Really, that's what it gets down to. It's predictable income. So it's like, how do we how do we build that up? Um, and then you know, like at the end of the day, that's more email list. Like the email list to me is the the key to specifically like an online content business for sure. But like I think any sort of um, you know even a software as a service like the email list is is kind of the you know the foundation, the bedrock of the entire thing is, is, you know, keeping that list warm and, and using the list and, and providing them value over time in exchange for them eventually, you know, converting into a paying customer. So I assume these first people that you emailed, you just charged them a one-time transaction fee for access to the videos. They didn't pay the recurring fee. When you decided to move to a recurring subscription model, did you have to go find a bunch of new customers? Here's the cool thing. When somebody's paid you already, they're very likely to pay you Again, in the future. So we had that list. Uh, we sold them a tangible product, right? They all got their their zip file of videos. They liked it, right? Like they have them. They they can archive them. They can store them, collect them, print them out. You can't print out videos, but um, I guess you could. It would just be weird. But they paid us money, and then you know, not it wasn't it wasn't even a month later. I you know sent out another email. Hey, we now have a subscription site. We don't have any videos yet outside of those first 50 that you've already paid for, but we promise we're going to have some premium content and it'll never be this cheap again. You know, buy $100 for the year or $9.99 a month. And, you know, a bunch of people signed up and our, our MRR started climbing at like $1,000 a week. And that lasted for quite some time, a, a few years, actually. We, we did about $1,000 a week of increased MRR, which was like amazing. It slowed down considerably at this point, but you know, I think at some point you reach a plateau, but like, you know, it's like, wow, a thousand dollars a week, look at that grow. And that allowed me to like four months in, uh, really consider quitting my job, which I did and then did workshops. So I sold workshops because we had the list. So I was able to like advertise on the site and we've always had good traffic and uh, kept me booked up uh, so I could do workshops uh, to augment my income, which I was able to quit doing that uh, as of, I guess, two years ago, right about the time we had the, had the baby. That's really cool to hear. I think one of the biggest challenges for a lot of indie hackers is they've got a lot going on in their life. They might have a family, they have a career, a full-time job, and they have no idea how they're going to juggle building something on the side with living their normal life. And with you guys, you just sort of fearlessly sent emails to these people and asked them to pay you a monthly subscription for a product that really didn't even exist yet. I mean, you guys hadn't created the courses, and yet people were paying you 100 bucks a year to subscribe. Yeah, I mean that trust, right? Right, like that, like them sending me a hundred dollars to for a full year, right? Like it's like that. That's me pledging to you that for a year, you know, for the next year, I'm going to provide you high quality content. Uh, we just don't know what it is yet. Um, like that's amazing <laughs> to me that people would, would and that's you know, that, that's like I had a small audience and John had an audience and we were selling to people inside of the Angular JS community that we were a part of. So there are people that that knew us and trusted us, right? Like enough to to do that, and that that really gets to the, like the point of like choosing your audience and where's your audience coming from? Because like stay at home mom photographers were not going to ever do that for me, but this audience that that's my people that are the folks that that I deal with and interact with and engage with anyway, they have that level of trust and we're able to like place it in us and know that we were going to deliver. One of the interesting things about catering to the audience that you know is that most indie hackers are developers. And so the audience that they know is other developers. And so you see dozens and dozens of companies being started that end up competing with each other and trying to solve some of the same problems. For example, teaching people AngularJS. And I think for a lot of founders, first-time founders especially, seeing all this competition is pretty discouraging. People will actually switch into an entirely new idea because they think their idea won't work because there's so much competition. 
How much has the existence of all this competition affected your decision making and your thinking, if at all, with Egghead? I mean, it like it, it approaches zero. I, I'm just not worried about it. Like, I don't, I don't, you know, it's like people, you know, like the big, like plural site, right? Like they're the the big player in this space, and I just don't care. Like, I, I don't don't chase uh, what anybody's doing. Um, I'm not worried about competition. I've always just focused on on making the thing that we can do as good as we can do it. Like if I get bogged down and, and start, you know, worrying what everybody else is doing, then then it really just takes away from, you know, what, what we want to do. So like from day one, I haven't haven't paid attention to that at, at all, to be honest. I wonder how much of that is because and the particular industry you're in with education, people like to learn in different ways. I mean, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but like some people like going to school and getting degrees. Some people wanna be self-motivated learners and take online courses. Some people want a mentor or a tutor. So it's it almost doesn't matter that there's competitors because you can carve out your own niche and if people like the way that you teach and what you're doing, then it doesn't matter how big your competition is. Yeah, it, I mean, there's just there's a lot of space too, and you know, like if I'm learning something, right? Like I have a new topic, I'm all hyped up for. Like my first stop is to get all of the five star books on Amazon. I don't I don't get the one you know book. I get get the stack of them, which my wife would verify with my stacks around the house. Um, I, I don't think like, you know, we'll get, you know, hey, should I get X, Y, Z or Egghead? And it's like, well, you should probably get all three. And, you know, if you're a working developer, you should get your boss to pay for it because uh, they owe it to you to provide you the education that you need to do the job. And it's like a, a, a combination. And, you know, it's like nobody's ever said, wow, there's way too much JavaScript learning material on the Internet. There isn't. There's not enough. Um, and it's not explained well enough. And it's not explained in a way that will will uh, resonate with every individual. So people really want to, you know, absorb multiple information streams and then combine them into form their own opinions, which is, you know, like that's that's ultimately what, what education is. There is no, you know, it's like when we talk about, oh, I'm self-taught, we're all self-taught. Like education, like you, if you are not learning, like if you are not putting in the work, whether somebody's standing in front of you in class, it's recorded or it's in a book, if you're not putting in the work, not paying attention, not taking the notes, not trying, not doing the projects, like you're never going to learn anything. Uh, regardless of where the information comes. Like, I, I, I hate watching coding videos. I really don't like it. I like to read blog posts and books. I, I like uh, like zines. Those are really neat. That's a trend that I've seen lately where people are using cartoons and comics to to make hard concepts easy to understand. Um, and I don't really want to sit down and watch videos. I like them more now that I can do them at two times speed with transcript or uh, closed captions, but it's just not how I enjoy learning. Uh, but other people really love it. And I think that's great. And then we can all kind of have our preferences met and that's the joy of the internet is that that while we all have these preferences and, and we want them to be a certain way it doesn't have to be that way and there, there's probably something out there for you so if you just make something that's good and you can meet the expectations in terms of, of quality and you know uh, consistency then then people will, will come and, and you know watch your stuff yeah it's really cool it's almost like an unsolvable problem like you said there's never going to be the perfect amount of JavaScript, how to learn, you know, this JavaScript framework or JavaScript in general information on the internet. And so there's always going to be room for someone to come in and teach it their own way. And I think if you're listening to this and you want to start your own company, it's, you know, probably wise for you to enter an industry or a market where that's the case, where there's never going to be one competitor who comes in and does it better than everybody else. And suddenly your company's dead. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, online book delivery. Um, That's a tough market. And, you know, Competing against Amazon is, is going to be tough, but there's still people that do it. Like, here's the thing. Like, there's like, I, I see, you know, like pragmatic programmers and and they use Amazon, but just do, do like these different publishing houses and stuff that do their own thing and, and probably do pretty well. And like, I think there's like space 
you know, especially if you're, you're targeting the audience and you're solving a specific pain or you're doing it in a, uh, you know, kind of a opinionated or principled way. Yeah. Um, and I like, I love principled businesses like businesses, like I, I love it in like restaurants and, and, you know, boutique education uh, on the internet and, you know, just, just people that, that take a stance and do their thing and, and do it well and deliver on their promise is something that, that constantly inspires me when I see it in other people and something that like I strive to do in terms of my own business. Yeah, you mentioned you had a, a profile on Lin Tai's website, Key Values, and that's a super opinionated, principled business. And it's in a super crowded market. Like a ton of yeah. businesses are trying to help companies hire developers and help developers find jobs. But there's so many different ways to do it that it's another example of like an industry where you can carve out your own niche and stand out, and it doesn't matter that there are competitors. Yeah, and, it, and it's tough. And it, you know, like like with what she's doing or with what anybody's doing, there's you know, like the sales process, and you have to you know, like learn, like you have to to message it properly, and you have to deliver on the the promises and the principles that you uphold. But you know, all that stuff is achievable. You know, if you, you kind of stick to it, and and your goal is to help people. I honestly like that's like a driving thing for me. I think if your your goal and your intention is to truly help people and and help them elevate themselves in their lives, then then you know it's it's kind of hard to fail if you succeed at that at all. So let's jump back into growing Egghead. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned several times that one of the tricks, one of the tools that you've used to your advantage is building an email list and maintaining that email list and improving it. What are some things you've done since you first launched, since you first started emailing people about your subscription model to sort of tap into your email list and to grow it and to use that as a distribution channel and find more customers? Yeah, so... We we like our our site is really heavily trafficked. We get a lot of organic search, and we're we're aggressively free, meaning that that you know I think somewhere around fifty percent of our content is actually free. Um, so if you land on it, you know you can just watch it. One of the biggest ways that we get new subscribers to our email list is just you know annoying them, um, <laughs> and that's the, that's the thing, right? Like I don't want to annoy people. Like I don't want to bother them. Is is a real, real, real hurdle to having a business online because you have to, you know, like if you don't, like if you don't ask, if you don't ever ask them to pay you, if you don't ever ask them for their email address um, and you just hope that passively they will somehow give it to you, it's going to be really hard to like grow and build a sustainable business, um, do things like provide healthcare for employees and, and you know, like give them paid vacations and, and take them yourself. You have to ask and you have to be confident enough to put it forward and kind of demand uh, that they comply with this this next step if they are getting value from from what it is you're delivering and and that's like one of the biggest hurdles that I see from people even for me for the first couple of years I didn't use my email list uh, in a way that was effectively I was like scared to email them I was like if I start emailing them they'll just unsubscribe because they'll get my email and they'll hate me um, <laughs> and I was talking to Patrick McKenzie who was a, a always been kind of a, a friend and, and mentor um, that helped me uh, in, in both direct and indirect ways. And, and he's like, yeah, just just email your list. Like you, you have to start emailing your list. And I did. And then I've had, you know, like I've got a great network of, of friends and mentors and, and um, Brennan Dunn has helped me out a bunch. And, and they would be like, he'd come in and be like, you got to do this, Joel. And I'll be like, wow, that's just too much, man. I can't ask them. Like, I can't be that aggressive. And he's like, look, you need to be that aggressive and you need to quit like, like whinging about like what, what we need to do to get this done. And I do it and it, and it had, you know, like a radical impact on, on, and it was, it was like the enough of an impact where we could start hiring people and I could stop doing everything by myself. You know, when I, when we would just ask and, and start being more aggressive in terms of, you know, like our, our marketing efforts and being in people's inboxes. I get a lot of hate too. Like I get, you know, like some people just hate it and that's fine. I really try not to reply. Sometimes I have to, cause it's fun. 
like I try not to engage, right? Like if somebody's like, oh, I hate your thing. It doesn't meet my preferences. Instead of replying, I just block them. Right. And I think uh, dealing with developers, I think developers are obviously like one of the most sophisticated and internet savvy audiences to deal with. And we have sort of the strongest opinions about email marketing, et cetera. But oh, yeah. the fact that most of your customers aren't bothered by it and actually like it is pretty cool. I mean, if you're building something that people like that actually helps them, and it turns out they're not all that upset when you email them about something new that you've done or give them a special offer, et cetera. No, and and you know, like, well, and some of our, our lovely friends, the software developers, um, they'll put like honeypot emails in there, right? Like like spam trap emails and yep. and fake emails and really like try to subvert your thing because they're just so angry that you're asking for emails and you're just a spammer. And it's like, you know, or you know, we'll have a promotion and we do a Christmas promotion and I I send <laughs> So every workday we release a course and it's over two weeks and I send an email every single day for two full work weeks. And on the last day, I send like five emails and I say, okay, this is the final one. And then the, the next day, the next morning, right, I, I, it's done. There's no more sale. I send a last chance to you know a portion of the list and, and right. like I'll send one more. And that gets like just just angry angry people in my <laughs> inbox like like just you said it's the last one and you're a filthy spammer and it's just like um it's one it's not true right like you signed up we had you know we have an agreement there's an unsubscribe button like like a legit unsubscribe button at the bottom of every single email i send i click it for them and block them and don't even reply like it's like you are n- the, you know what those people are those people are never ever going to be a client all they are is a complainer so just ignore them and, and continue doing what you're doing and and especially if you're approaching it from a principled way where you're legit and they're complaining about like getting 12 days like 15 free courses that they can watch that's the complaint like oh you're just sending too much and it's like okay well one just ignore it right like you have like the tools at your disposal to just ignore it but like if they're complaining about that and they're there they're only there for the free stuff and they're even complaining about that you can ignore them they they, they don't need to be there when people unsubscribe from your list, it's actually a good thing. It's filtering out. Um, it's making your list higher quality. You want people to unsubscribe. You want to give them the real deal and not just tiptoe around them. You want them to go away if they are never going to like fall in line with what it is you're trying to, to deliver them. So speaking of things that are sort of hard to deal with psychologically and practically as a founder, you guys are entirely bootstrapped. You mentioned earlier that bootstrapping is, is hard mode. You know, you're not taking money from investors, so you can't grow quite as fast. Uh, you guys don't do any advertising, which I'm sure could be lucrative for what you're doing with all your videos, but like you've decided not to. Why have you gone this route, and what have you seen in terms of advantages and disadvantages? Yeah, we we had um, good luck with Facebook advertising in terms of of profits. I I have just you know like some personal issues with with their business model. So um you know like nothing against anybody that loves Facebook or works at Facebook or anything. It just didn't isn't in line with with how I wanted to operate. So we, we stopped doing that and, and mostly because we can, right? Like it's not essential to us. And, you know, like the, the numbers were great, but like the, it was just, you know, it was like, it was like money versus kind of like following my, my instincts on that. Like at the end of the day, like, you know, like we, we had a few things in our favor, like in, in America, you know, our healthcare situation is kind of whack. Everybody knows that everybody makes fun of us on the internet um, as, as a country over this thing. But we, you know, we, we were able to do it with the Healthcare Act and able to get insurance and stuff for John and I and our families because he has five children too. And then, you know, it wasn't even until last year where we were finally able to like afford to offer, you know, like paid, like full paid healthcare to our employees, which was like a huge milestone for us. But it took four years to get there because of the bootstrapping, you know, where, where if you take 
you know, you know a, a seven-figure funding round, then you can probably start that like immediately, right? Like that's one of the first things you line up. So, you know, like that's been a real struggle with the bootstrapping and, and the ability to, you know, like make sure we're taking care of our employees and, and doing the right thing uh, with regards to them. But otherwise, I, I honestly wouldn't wouldn't have it any other way. I, I've, I've thought a few times, wow, we could go so much faster. And then I, I, I think again, and I'm like, I couldn't handle it if we were going any faster. Like, I don't know what I'm doing in terms of my role as a leader. And I have to figure it out. So like the slow pace allows me the space to, you know, figure it out as we go along and, and figure out my place. Um, and, you know, in terms of, of uh, being a leader of this thing and, and what does that mean? And other people are looking to me for answers, and, you know, like that, that's all new to me. So I'm, I'm able to, you know, like slow that down and really be more considerate about, about how we approach the, the, the whole thing. I can see how on one hand, moving slowly is really effective for saving you from a lot of that stress and anxiety because you're not worried about needing to grow as fast as your biggest competitor. You're not worried about hitting all these artificial deadlines. You know, if you're doing well, you can just sort of relax and enjoy that. But on the other hand, let's say things aren't going well, if you're stagnating or you're shrinking, that can cause you a lot of stress and anxiety as well. Has that ever been something that you've had to worry about? And if so, how do you handle that and stay true to your mission of slow, steady growth? A little bit. Mostly it's like, oh, I got this really big idea I want to do. Which is funny if you think about like what I talked about in terms of starting the business at all, right? Like this this idea, I want to do this big thing. And if you have the capital to do the big thing, that's what you're going to do, right? Like I want to pursue this big goal. If there's anything that I've learned over the last five years, it's that that things change. And, you know, a lot of times the big ideas are bad. <laughs> you know, I put a lot of money into big ideas that, that turned out to be bad and I had to do it slowly. So thankfully I didn't, you know, blow millions of dollars on some bad idea. It was just, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And what's, been, what's also interesting in, in terms of being a bootstrapper and like the, the responsibility and what that means to me is that, that my decisions directly impacts my wallet, right? Like if I spend six months on a bad idea that doesn't pan out, like I had to pay for that, like literally took food like off of my table and money out of my bank account to make that happen. You know, it's like you have skin in the game, right? Like it's like yep. playing poker for no money. You're never going to play good poker until you really have, you know, money in the game. So I'm learning how to grow this business and it, it costs me. I'm not playing with Monopoly money. I'm not playing with, you know, VC cash. I'm playing with my money. Like, you know, this is like, this could be in my kid's college fund instead of being spent to, you know, build this dumb feature idea that I had that didn't work out at all. So like in that respect, like not so much the stress aspect of it, just the, the reality of the situation uh, in terms of like, you know, picking what we do and, and thinking about the big idea has been been interesting as a growth opportunity for me. And then, you know, like as a, kind of a, a lever in the decision-making process. I think that's one of the reasons why more entrepreneurs should consider charging money as early as possible, sort of doing what you guys did and bringing on customers before they even have a product out. Because once you actually have money coming in, then you've got skin in the game and you're going to try to make better decisions. Whereas a lot of times people will spend 6, 12 months building something for free, with no business model, no customers, and it they're sort of trading away their time and it doesn't feel as tangible as trading away like dollars out of your own pocket. I mean, I get why people don't too. Like I, you know, I, I know people and I talk to people and they're, they're like, they want to get capital and they, they want to, you know, get them big dollars so they can do the big thing and, and just go after it and, you know, like swing for the fences and, and that fails and then they just do the next thing, right? Like the whole idea of a, a serial entrepreneur and gathering investment that way. Like I, I see the appeal and, and why that works for a lot of people and they would just like die of boredom if they had to do it my way. Like it would just like just eat at them. Um, you know, because of the the slow kind of snaily turtle turtle pace that 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 I take, but like to me, it's like I'm like I'm not looking for an exit. Like I've had, 
you know, like endless venture capitalists and, and, you know, people in my inbox, like, Hey, do you want money? Hey, you looking to sell? And like, I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like I have family members that work for us. And and like, I like the idea of a, a legacy business. Um, something that we can, you know, calmly grow over time. Um, I really like, I look to, you know, uh, the, the base camp 37 signals, Jason and DHH. I really look to them, um, a lot in terms of how they built their business and their kind of attitudes toward the whole thing have been really inspiring to me and, and continue to be like looking at them and watching them, you know, run this business and build it and cap their employees at 50 because, you know, Jason's like, I just can't handle more than that. That's where I'm at right now. Maybe one day we might grow more employees than that, but this is where we're at right now. Um, and then be successful with that over time. Like just, you know, have something that they can uh, build and craft and not worry about what the next big thing is. Um, Cause I'm not really excited about new things or change. I really, you know, I like to improve on what exists uh, and grow that. Yeah. It's like you said earlier, you got into this to sort of control your own life and to be financially independent, to have a job that you actually liked. So it wouldn't make any sense to make decisions for your business that put you in a place where you're running something that you don't enjoy running and that's super stressful and that you can't control. I truly love the work. Like, like I kind of like, you know, it's like a, a big payout, right? Like, you know, you get millions of dollars. Now, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> Find something to do. I mean, you know, like you could have worse problems for right. sure. But like, you know, it's like I, I have to work. Like, it's like I, I love it. I'm driven to do it. Like, I want to wake up every day and get things done. Some days I don't, though. So, you know, some weeks I don't. <laughs> so I need to be able to facilitate both of those those modes and balance it out. And this is, you know, like bootstrapping the business, growing it slowly, building the team slowly, all that stuff has really helped to facilitate that in quite a significant way. So one of the cool things you mentioned earlier on this note is that as a founder, it's really easy to build a business. Well, I won't say it's easy, but like, let's say you built a business that's successful. It's easy to take time off yourself. It's easy to sort of live the life that you want. But you've gone a step further than that, and you've made it so that the people working for you can do the same thing. And I know that's difficult to do. I remember talking to John O'Nolan, the founder of Ghost, who said he felt super guilty that if he ever took any time off as a founder, but his employees were still working hard. How have you set up Egghead to function in such a way where your employees have the same sort of freedoms that you do as a founder? So the idea is like, you know, you get the unlimited vacation and people talk about that. So we like, and I try, I try to phrase it more like a mandatory minimum vacation. You know, when you say unlimited, it's like, well, I could just take the whole year off. And I was like, well, you know, that, that's not really <laughs> what we're talking about. And, you know, so it, it's kind of a, like a, uh, you know, it's a contract with, with everybody that's doing the thing. We all, we all want to work hard. We all enjoy doing the work. Sometimes we, we can't, you know, like I, I've had, you know, we've had Slack messages where going to read in the park because it's sunny today. And like, I think that's fantastic. And I, I want to be able to do that. And I don't think, you know, like I'm not, you know, I shouldn't be able to go do that. And then everybody else, like if they said that, well, what do you mean you're going to go read in the park today? Like, that's not cool. Um, you know, so to me, it's like an experiment with like how, like the, the, the tension between, you know, being loose and being able to, you know, like trusting and, and loose in that regard versus, you know, like, like a, a, a rigorous workplace. There's been experiments like, uh, uh, a fellow that runs Team Treehouse, they had like their 32-hour work week and then they decided that wasn't working for them, that, that they couldn't do that and they were going to be, you know, he's like, I work 60 hours a week anyway. And sometimes I feel like that too. Like I'm, you know, like I, I do, I work a lot, like, and I, but I like it and I work, you know, like constantly, but I don't want to expect that of everybody because I don't think, um, you know, like everybody needs to be in it, you know, like like the uh, weekends and, and evenings and, you know, whatever, like I'm putting in, it's because I want to and it's kind of my business and, you know, I get compensated accordingly, but then also want to open it up to where, where everybody makes a good living, works a job that they like, gets to do meaningful work, uh, but then also gets to like have the space 
to be themselves and, and relax and, and take care of themselves, you know, mentally and physically outside of the workplace. Um, I think, you know, if, if more, more companies could do that, that'd be great. But, you know, like I don't really have to worry about them because we get to do it. You mentioned that you are the father of five kids. Uh, you mentioned on the website a few months back that you guys homeschool your kids. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that you even had a baby while you were building Egghead. You moved across the country and you kind of turned it off for a year, but your business kept going. How have you been able to sort of systematize things and outsource work and hire people and get it so the business can work so well with your attention divided? I mean, you're doing a ton of stuff, and I think it would be hard for most people to keep pushing the business forward while being in your situation. So the homeschool thing is, um, generally speaking, I think like K through 12 education, particularly in the United States, is a uh, like a conversion sales funnel for college debt. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, and I, I don't think it's a great system. Um, was, and you know, like honestly, I'm, I just like we enjoy our kids. We unschool. Like they, they don't have a whole lot of pressure in, in terms of you know education, like academic education. So the, the idea is that you constantly have to be learning. Like that's all I really care about. Are you, what are you working on? And are you getting good at something? It uh, doesn't matter what it is. I'll facilitate whatever it is you want to learn. Um, but you know, um, they, they all know how to read and do math and stuff. Like we, you know, we're not um, trying to to raise like wilderness weirdos or anything. Uh, that's fine if that's what they want to be. I'm just, you know, like that's not the objective, you know, but what that means, like, you know, in terms of logistics, it means that my house is, uh, I've worked at home uh, for the last 10 years too. So we're all always here. And that, that's been interesting, right? Like, so it's like starting a business, having meetings, doing these things. And then, you know, like having my office in the dining room um, as the, the kind of the central hub of the, the house while everybody else is working and learning too. It's been great. It, it definitely is like, like just like, Hey, I want to make this a little bit harder. Um, so I'm going to have, you know, too many kids and we're going to keep them home and uh, <laughs> we're going to start a business and Hey, we, we can move across the country too. And, and why not have another one? Cause we just got to the point where they could all like feed themselves and we could go to Europe together. And, you know, like I, I, I love it and I love the experience and also like the baby was a, a great decision. And um, I don't know if like making the decision and moving across the country at the right time is necessarily what I'd recommend for other people, but you know, it's just, it's fun and interesting. And, you know, like I said, I, I play this long game. And and to me, it's just this this kind of long running experiment, you know, with with them as my as them as my experimentees. And you know, like we give them the opportunity, like we're like, hey, do you want to go to school? And then none of them have taken us up on that at all. Like they they like what they do. Yeah, I think you're the entire way that you run your company is sort of allowed you a lot more freedom and life to I think take liberties and and do things that would be harder if you had a normal job or harder if you ran a more traditional company that had investors or had this, you know, sort of mandate to grow as fast as possible at all times. I want to go back to something you said earlier, which is that kind of as a result of having to grow slowly and move slowly, you can't do all the big ideas that you have, but that's okay because a lot of times your big ideas are bad. And there's this idea of product market fit where you sort of come up with an idea or product that really fits well with your market and it works. And you guys sort of had that from your first week. You know, the second you emailed your list and $6,000 in revenue came in in one week, you knew what you're doing could work and you knew that you could charge subscription fees for it. Have you had any big ideas since then that have changed your business or have you just sort of put the pedal to the metal and just taken that initial idea, that initial business model and just grown it to where it is today? Yeah, so we took the initial idea for sure. Um, we were like over the last... I don't know, six months, I uh, had the realization that, that our, our model, you know, I've always like, like a, a kind of compared ourselves to O'Reilly or a book publisher. Um, and we had the Alex Hillman, who is Amy Hoy's business partner in 30 by 500 and a, a friend and mentor of mine. 
I was like, you guys are really more like a record label. I'm like your your entire business is like a record label. And I was like, wow, that's that's like like totally spot on with with how we run it. And like we do, you know, A and R, which is artists and repertoire, which is you know out there finding talent, and we're looking for people dropping mixtapes on YouTube, and we'll we'll mm-hmm. take those folks and we'll develop them over time, and up to the point where we're going to work with them to collaborate on a you know like a hit record that we'll 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 drop, and um, which is what we just did with with Kent C Dodds. Uh, we released testingjavascript.com. And it was like the idea of using Egghead as a platform versus Egghead IO as the service that people subscribe to. It's like a big idea, but it's like a natural progression and natural evolution of what we've done. It's not like something that I would, and I would have never started out day one being like, oh, this is what we should do. It's more like, wow, we did this. And then it's like, hey, what if we, you know, just did this and we could, you know, like have this site and we can use our API and use our infrastructure and our payment gateways and all this different stuff um, that we have set up and, and, you know, do something bigger for instructors that, that were motivated to do so and had their own audience. And, you know, we've worked with for years and, you know, like the one when, when they, if we released something like that on Egghead, it would completely like our, our royalty pool is like a zero sum game and it would completely destroy it and destroy everybody's royalties. So how do we solve that problem? Plus give people, you know, like take people from the paying the mortgage payment to paying the freaking mortgage off like in one fell swoop. And, right. and that's what we have actually achieved. It's been a raging success. I'm like over the moon about the whole thing and really excited for the future. So that's kind of the, you know, the, like our, our progression. And, and it doesn't even change Egghead and what we do. In fact, it allows us to kind of like be more true to our original vision of what Egghead was and serve that audience even better because we can, you know, like, Hey, what what if we stand up a site that's like this that serves you know this other niche or you know it's like we've really struggled with the beginner content because we don't we don't cater to that audience very much. So you know where does that go? Do we wedge it in and we change our whole model on on Egghead or or can we can we do something else? So it's you know like things like that kind of open up for us um, in terms of using it as as more of a the idea of a platform um, beyond uh, just Egghead IO. Yeah, there's a lot there. That's that's so good. I mean and. One part of what you're talking about is almost like you're starting a completely different business, which means you have to, in a lot of ways, go back to the drawing board and do customer research and make sure that like all the resources you're investing into this new thing are going to be well spent and then it can work out. And you can't just sort of assume and take for granted that it'll work. In addition to that, it's also like by having this other analogy for your business, by seeing yourself as a record label, it sort of enables this creativity and enables you to see different models of how your business can work. And then the last cool thing is that like this came about because of really your relationship with Alex, like the mentors and people you have who are sort of helping you run your business. Um, how do you find these mentors? How do you incorporate them into your decision-making as a founder? I pay them. <laughs> yeah? No, yeah, like like, like straight up. Like I, I've always, like since I started as a software developer and had this idea that I wanted to start a business, I've, I've you know, paid people to coach me. Um, I join their classes, I buy their books, um, I talk to them, I take their advice and actually implement it and then tell them what I've done and ask if I could do it better, which is uh, apparently pretty rare. Like like people that are in the advice business, like having people actually listen to them and then like implement and then iterate on their advice isn't something that, that occurs a lot, which is, I guess, sad. But like I have no no problems with like, like, like just compensating people for their time. I don't like ask anybody to pick their brains. I ask them if we can talk for an hour and I'll pay their consulting rate. That's like how I do it. And I've always done that. I've done that since, you know, when, when I first took Amy Hoy's, uh, Amy and Alex's 30 by 500, it was $1,200. And it was like a significant like family meeting, like sit down, like, let's talk about this. Cause that's a big expense, but I'm going to do this. And, and, 
that's one example of doing that. But that's that's where most of like the mentorship that I've received in my life is me like directly con- compensating them for the opportunity to you know for for their time, like for their their you know that we're talking about something that's making me money. Um, mm-hmm. I don't expect like free work out of anybody. Um, I don't I don't like free work. I don't think people should should give it. Um, I don't like spec work. If I'm trying to hire a designer, I hire eight designers to do the same project and pick the ones I like best, um, and they all get paid the same. Um, that that kind of thing is is important to me, uh, just in terms of a, like a lifestyle choice. I think a lot of people listening are probably going to want to copy you what you're you're saying right now. So I want to dive in a little bit more detail. I mean, is this something that you're doing on a regular basis? Like every week, you're emailing somebody you want to learn from and offering to pay their consulting rate. Is it just a limited set of mentors you found early on that you've stuck with? What does this actually look like in practice? So I went to uh, MicroConf last year, and you know, I was, it was funny because I'm watching the talks. And I'm like, man, I don't want to implement that, but I really want to hire them, which is what actually happened. Like coming out of it, I was like, hey, you know, we work with us on a project, so I like to do like, uh, you know, people that 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 already offer their services for for a fee are a lot easier uh, because you can, you know, simply, hey, let's work on a project, or they, they consult or whatever. Um, you know, so I'll do like a discovery engagement. I'm like, hey, can we do a discovery engagement? You know, I'll pay you X dollars. You can come in, you can look at the the processes and see what's up and then like give suggestions about other projects that we can do together if it's a good fit, um, which is where I've kind of come to these days uh, in terms of hiring folks. I have a Why We Hire Consultants at Egghead uh, blog post that kind of goes into some details about this. But I, I love hiring consultants and working with them and, and using them um, as as both to implement like like tangible things um, that, that what it, that's in their, their sphere of influence, but then also... Like advancing that relationship, hiring them over time. I have several people that I pay retainers for, like consultants that have worked out really well. That I, uh, you know, get get a monthly retainer and then kind of hang out with us, and we do do things every month on an ongoing basis. Um, and I really love that. Like, I love the you know the the ability of the internet to you know, like find smart people. And um, as we've grown and our budget has increased, I've been able to do it more. And it's like one of the things that keep, you know that I really really love is like like I can you can contact your heroes and be like, hey, you want to work together? Um, I had this idea and we would really love your help. And, and often, you know, their schedule will permit if you can, you know, pay the fee. And then over time, even if you're paying somebody, right? Like you can, you can, it's like, a, you know, they're, it's like an employee and you can have a, 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 a relationship though, right? Like it's not like, it's like a peer relationship um, at, at some point. And, and sometimes it moves beyond, you know, hey, we're not going to uh, work together and and pay, but we're peers now, so we we talk about it. And we can collaborate in in other ways and and discuss what we're doing with our businesses. Yeah, that's super cool. And I haven't heard of anyone else besides you sort of operating their business and spending their budget that way. But it sounds like not only useful but really fun. Yeah, it, it's great, and it, it it allows us to work with people that we like literally couldn't afford, like in terms of being like full time employees, and then also people that that don't work that way. But you know, like the 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 best and the brightest of the folks that that I really um, am inspired by like getting to work with them is is like a, a such a nice benefit of of the gig for me um, at all. And then I can take that. I also like I'm like, well, this is you know like this is way better than like a college class, right? Like I can pay this person, you know, however whatever thousands of dollars to come in on a month engagement, and you know we take notes, we learn from them, we talk to them, uh, we we clarify with them, and we actually implement uh, what they the strategies that they they are. Uh, dictating to us, and uh, the end result is that that we learn and grow, uh, we deliver a better product, and our business um, is healthier for it. Um, and, and it's worked out really well uh, across the board. So you've got Egghead to the point where you guys are doing a little over three million dollars a year in revenue. You're pretty much 
financially independent. You can run your business however you want. What are you looking forward to in the future? What is what does ACAD look like five, ten years from now? Well, uh, that's that's a pretty good question. I don't, I don't really know. Like I, I I look at it as you know a place. Like I, I have all these children that I'd like to raise up and and like offer the opportunity to work in the family business if they want to. That's interesting to me. I love the idea of continuing what we're doing and like the catalog at that point. Like you know when you're you're ten years in and you have just the the back catalog, like the historical record of all the things is, is really fascinating to me as well. And then, you know, as we spin off and we, we think about this and um, all the people that we can help, you know, I see a lot lately where these, these kind of bootstrap funds, right? Like where they're um, offering to invest in bootstrap businesses for, for different, different things. There's been a few of them that I've noticed lately. And the idea too, that we can, you know, we can like help people that are trying to start out and, and help them like build their audience and help them get their content, you know, like their content products off the ground so that they can um, work on whatever, you know, like come up with new ideas and, and build new SaaSes or do whatever and fund it like through this, this way that's, you know, like kind of, um, you know, like, like outside of the investment space, they, they could like a new opportunity for funding it through like helping them build little content empires to fund fund their dreams and i think that's like a like a strong possibility uh, in terms of what we can do and and it's cool because that also you know like what we've built and the the approach that we've taken isn't limited to like developers there's so many markets and i don't think every one of them has to like be as lucrative as software development and that like software development is lucrative and you know like that space uh has so much money right now like hopefully like you know, I'm I'm all for that trend continuing, but there's all sorts of like artists and and people that are doing like smaller things and and different. You know, like I don't know, there's there's all sorts of people out there creating really cool stuff that I think people will pay for and can like enrich all of us across the internet uh, and get that kind of more sharing. And um, really, like I'm personally like I don't like school, I don't like work. I want to change both of those things, and I'm just a, a guy with a little tiny hammer and a chisel in in the corner, chipping away at that rock. And that's that's my, my general goal is just to keep figuring out how I can change that for as many people as possible. What a world we're living in in 2018, where you can pass down the family bootstrapped SaaS business to your kids. One more question, then I'll let you get out of here, Joel. A lot of people listening in are software developers, are people who don't know how to code as well, who like to make their own online business and aren't quite sure where to start. What advice would you have for somebody in that situation? I mean, I, it'd be like read a book and, and take a class. I, I mean, I, I, I can't express how much I enjoyed and got out of that 30 by 500 class I've mentioned several times. I don't think like going out there and just like doing it on your own, like, you know, like you, you, there, there is an education component to it. Um, the, the trick there, the balance is uh, one, to like pick the right learning materials and two, to execute and actually try them. You know, the idea of analysis paralysis or I'm going to read every single book, like I got to get all the five-star books and read them all. Uh, and I'm still confused. Like that's the hard part. And that's the hard part of learning anything. It's the, like, that's the biggest struggle, struggle that people have. Um, one is finding the time to do that. And then two, actually implementing. And I see that like for people that are trying to learn how to be software developers or business owners or whatever, it's like, you can learn the thing, but actually, you know, like you can memorize the terms, you can like, you know, like, like read it and until you actually do the thing, like it's really hard. So you find something small that you can practice on and release it out there. There's a, a book called Apprenticeship Patterns that I love um, quite a bit that has a chapter titled Breakable Toys. And the premise is that you can build something and it doesn't matter if it fails or breaks. You're just, you know, like building it and getting out there. And like I said, the first thing I released was literally like a, a, a 10 page scan of some notes I took of a conference. Um, they're pretty cool, actually. But like, 
that was it. That I sold it and I sold it for five bucks a pop and people bought it and my list grew and, you know, it, it kind of opened the door for me. So, you know, like think small, think small while thinking big. I, I think you can, you can think in both ways and, and, you know, like, like do the next, you know, next smallest thing to get to your goals uh, and, and actually doing it is, is really the hard part, but it's the most essential part. Yeah, actually doing it. It's a pretty crucial part. Well, that's great advice, Joel. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge and your story with us. Can you let listeners know where they can go to learn more about Egghead and about what you're up to in your personal life as well if you share that stuff online? Um, yeah, we have a, we, we record a podcast we like a lot. Um, it's all uh, egghead.io uh, is, is where all that stuff lives, forward slash podcast if you like to listen to developers. And I like to like talk about uh, business with them and, and people that are doing interesting things in that regard. So I like that quite a bit. And then joelhooks.com, um, which is a, a infrequently blogged, but there's some, some gems on there too, uh, if you're interested in that sort of thing. All right, Joel, thanks so much. Nice to talk to you, Cortland. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation and you want a really easy way to support the podcast, why don't you head over to iTunes and leave us a quick rating or even a review? If you're looking for an easy way to get there, just go to ndhackers.com slash review, and that should open up iTunes on your computer. I read pretty much all the reviews that you guys leave over there, and it really helps other people to discover the show, so your support is very much appreciated. In addition, if you are running your own internet business, or if that's something you hope to do someday, you should join me and a whole bunch of other founders on the ndhackers.com website. It's a great place to get feedback on pretty much any problem or question that you might have while running your business. If you listen to the show, you know that I am a huge proponent of getting help from other founders rather than trying to build your business all by yourself. So you'll see me on the forum for sure, as well as more than a handful of some of the guests that I've had on the podcast. If you're looking for inspiration, we've also got a huge directory full of hundreds of products built by other indie hackers, every one of which includes revenue numbers and some of the behind the scenes strategies for how they grew their products from nothing. As always, thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time.